A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Hurlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP and Field CDO at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading contributor to Trino, the open source project, and the Data Mesh for Dummies book that I co-wrote with Colleen Tarto and Andy Mott. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introduction and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Is core data the way to achieve MDM's goal in Data Mesh? Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Marcy Stetzel, Principal Product Manager of Enterprise Core Data at CGen. To be clear, though, she was only representing her own views on this episode. Before we jump in, CGen might be a bit of a special case in how much the domains can leverage each other's data around a specific type of record type, which is a lot of what we talked about with core data. There is a lot to learn in general for anybody, but you might not be able to find the same number of use cases that are as broadly impactful to many domains at once as CGen has. But I think it's really important to be looking at this from a can this be applicable to far more enterprises as well? So some key takeaways or thoughts from Marcy's point of view. Number one, potentially controversial. In Data Mesh, building a data culture focused on engagement, learning, and upskilling might be as important or more important maybe as doing the data work. If teams aren't willing to engage, what's the point of doing the work? Scott note here, Marcy doesn't explicitly say this, but it sure feels like an undercurrent. It's crucial to make your data culture something that can embrace data mesh. Number two, when going to domains, come with a target value proposition. Why would they get value from participating in your data mesh initiative? Scott note here again. If there isn't a value prop for the domain, you will almost certainly struggle with incentivization, which is one of the pushbacks a lot of people talk about. There are very few kind of quote-unquote good Samaritans willing to do a lot of data work with no discernible direct benefit to their own domain. Number three, seeing is believing. 
Don't just tell people what you are going to do. Get demos in front of them early and show them more about what you plan to do. Isla Hale in episode 122 talked a lot about this as well. Number four, make sure to solicit feedback as you build. It's far easier to pivot after a short period of work than after a longer period. You can find misaligned expectations far earlier and work on appropriate prioritization. Basically, you spend less time building things that don't matter and more times on things that do. Number five, look for ways for domains to share about what information they have that might be useful in the organization. Oftentimes, domains operate so independently, they aren't in the habit of finding ways to collaborate. So Scott note here, communication is the easiest path to high value cross domain use cases. The mesh won't find them for us. I know this is something that people want to happen, but I don't think that automated, uh, you know, kind of data use case discovery is going to be anything that happens in the next five, maybe 10, maybe 15 years, maybe ever. Number six, to actually get to cross domain use cases, you need domains to consider things from another domain's point of view. So extract more information about each domain to literally show to the other domains to spark conversations. Be someone that connects the dots for domains and then connect people across those domains. You know, personally, Scott Note, I, I do this all the time in the data mesh community. People are always like, wow, this is so amazing. It's not that hard to just go, what are two people? I think these two people should talk. Let's introduce them. Number seven, once there is more visibility to cross domain use cases, business goals can be realigned to focus on building two common goals. That can help with some incentivization and alignment. Scott note, I hadn't previously heard this one articulated, but it really does map with goal realignment where many organizations are seeing kind of that success with data mesh. Number eight, when you are early in your journey, look to create a quote unquote thin slice of an end to end experience for a domain. Really don't try to do too much. Scott note, this is what pretty much everyone who has worked on at least two data mesh journeys circles back to. It's very important to understand this thin slice concept. Really, really internalize what that means because otherwise we see people that are building mismatched kind of implementations and it's not working that well for them. Number nine, interoperability requires a certain level of trust. You can decide by your use case how strong that trust has to be. If you need it to be essentially perfect for regulatory reasons, that's far different from the needs of many other use cases. Like really think about that. Number 10, focus, especially early in your journey, is very useful. Again, thin slice. Don't take on too much while you build your own initial momentum and buy-in. Number 11, potentially controversial, find ways to humanize your data work. Add a bit of levity and humor. It will make people connect to it more and internalize it more. Plus, it's just more fun. The reason why I mark this as controversial is a lot of people are super focused on the work, the work instead of the human aspects. And I think this is something people should really take note of. Number 12, another potentially controversial one. Similarly, quote unquote, explore, discover, and mature data together. You know, uh, Marcy called this her EDM model. <laughs> It's okay to be vulnerable, especially as we learn. Transparency is also crucial. Number 13, community and things like workshops are crucial to see wider adoption and engagement 
in a data mesh implementation. We don't just write the documentation. We don't just kind of say, this is the way it should work. Everybody will follow it. You have to really work with people. Number 14, finally, consider if you want to use the phrase master data management at all. Master has slavery connotations and MDM in general feels far too heavy as a phase as a phrase for most. It can scare off the exact people you want leaning in to dealing and really working with that enterprise core data concept. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Very, very excited for today's episode. I've got Marcy Stetzel here, who's the product manager of Enterprise Core Data at CGen. To be clear, though, she is only representing her own views, not that at all of the company or anything like that. And we're going to talk about kind of CGen's core data strategy and what core data actually means and how that's similar to kind of concepts around master data, but why aren't we calling it that and things like that. And then we're going to talk about how do you actually start to go out there and have conversations with teams that aren't on the data team around data mesh? Because this is one of the things that just keeps coming up of of people going out there and trying to sell it as data mesh instead of like, what are you actually doing? What does this mean? Why is this good for you? All of that. How do you not overburden your producers? Like, how do you begin to get them to be able to do a data product instead of you must uh, you know, hit this amazing mark of a perfect data product on on V1 when they haven't ever done anything like this before. And then, you know, how can you focus on enabling domain to domain conversations as a data team, right? How can you get yourself out of that conversation? Because it's incredibly important to do that. So, uh, but before we get to that, Marcy, if you don't mind, if you could give people a bit of an introduction to yourself, and then we can jump into the conversation at hand. Yes. Thank you so much, Scott. It's really exciting to be on your podcast. I am Marcy Stetzel, and um, just a little bit of my background so you can kind of understand my approach towards the data mesh and the product thinking. I actually used to be a high school teacher, and so I really try to give a different lens around um, thinking about things from the different perspectives of the different types of teams. And then I also was working uh, for quite a few years within the commercial space, uh, so I felt a lot of the pain that our customers do today around having the same customer across numerous systems and how do you know that it's the same record throughout. So very excited to be here. Thank you. <laughs> well, and this is a topic that that a lot of people are really, really uh, interested in and excited about because, you know, Jamak has kind of said, I, I, she doesn't see master data management kind of as it is, as it has been as good for data mesh. And so getting to what that actually means, how that actually can, you know, how can people actually trust, you know, in, in their book, she talks about, you know, not source of truth, but uh, more most relevant source and that kind of concept. So why don't we start with a little bit about CGen's core data story and, and would love to kind of wrap in, you know, your, your history as well as to like, what, what does this actually mean? What, 
what was the goal when you started kind of looking at it of the core data strategy? And then why is it going well? And we can kind of dig into and peel, peel back the layers on that. Yeah. So one of the things, just to kind of give a little clarity, um, you know, we mentioned enterprise core data, and we wanted to get away from that master data management. So when we think of MDM, it's master data management, but we wanted to change away from that um, concept of slavery, right, and go into core. So when we talked to the business, it was really first kind of getting them to understand what does enterprise core data management mean? And when you think of core data, it's like that essential data or the crucial data that we want to make sure is reusable and interoperable across the different businesses and systems. And once we started to talk in that type of a lens, they started to have a little bit better understanding of what does it mean to have this data that can then become interoperable between systems, which is, you know, a huge pain point for customers today. Yeah, and I think that it's interesting that the framing around, you know, we're master data management, it has the data management instead of even just like, we're doing core data. And yes, I'm done core data management, but it's more about the core data and that that framing of this is core to what we do. This is core to us playing well with each other. I think that's interesting. So like, can we talk about where kind of where it started and, and where it's it's gone and like what you've been doing in, in that time frame as to like, how did you start to almost decompose what is core data? What isn't what, like, uh, how do you start to take ownership of things where, where people have core data? How do you say, Hey, this actually isn't core data. I know you want me to manage it for you, but I can't like, I'd love to just kind of hear how those, those interactions have gone and how you've learned to kind of get to where you are, where it's going pretty well. Yeah. Well, I think the first place is like, you know, core data is a lot of different types of what we're calling data entities. And within the, you know, biotech space, there's quite a few different types of data entities like product, supplier, vendor, um, healthcare professional, healthcare organization. So really the first step was where do we start? And I think part of it for me, Scott, is because my background was in the commercial space, really um, understanding healthcare professionals and healthcare organizations, that that felt like a good place to start. So we looked across the different business, uh, the different areas of the business to see who all is using healthcare professional and healthcare organization today. And one of the first things we came across is not every single team calls it a healthcare professional, right? It can be a doctor, it can be a um, investigator, it could be a payee, and all of those can still be the same healthcare professional. So once we started to give definition around what is healthcare professional, the business started to say, oh, I think I have that. Or can we check out this HCP and see if this would fit into what you're talking about for something that would be cool? Yeah, I think what you're talking about there is really important because um, getting a sense of of just your data as an uh, an enterprise is something that I don't think a lot of people really do. Maybe the, the central data team kind of can, but kind of doesn't. And how do you think about um, drilling down into that and actually starting to say this is or this isn't? And and did you did you have any pushback when you said like this isn't core data where people were <laughs> kind of frustrated where they go, 
hey, what do you mean? My, my data is really important. What do you mean it's not core? Or, or did people really start to kind of get that and, and raise their hand up, but also started to understand more about how their data played into the overall organization? Yeah, I think um, we were lucky in a lot of ways because we had probably more engagement than less. So we had quite a few different teams that were really interested in wanting to uh, have us look at their data. And then once we kind of gave that definition of what is healthcare professional and healthcare organization, it really was only down to those teams. And then that's where we started to think about it more from that product thinking type of aspect. So starting to look at that individual data source as that data product, and then being able to explain to that team how there would be um, benefit of bringing that data product into this core data management platform. And then what would that output be? And kind of starting to build that story for the different areas of business. So are you managing more of it or are they managing it? Are they managing it on your platform or are you, are they handing it over and you're managing it? Like how does that end up kind of working from a logistics standpoint? Yeah. So we're still, you know, we're still at the beginning of all of that, but we're um, working through really trying to make things as much as possible self-serve for the business so that they can have that um, empowerment and that accountability for their data. But at the same time, you know, we'll need like an enterprise data steward. And what does that mean? So there, there are those conversations that are happening. But as those conversations are happening, different areas of the business are starting to kind of see how they're connected to each other and having more of that collaboration. And really, um, you know, my overall objective is to give them that guidance, not to really drive the whole thing, but give them the guidance on what they need to do to collaborate together and build out those business decisions. Yeah, I'm, I'm almost even thinking that this is kind of sparking the idea of every organization that's doing data mesh should have people go in and do an audit, but not necessarily use that terminology, but where you go into a domain and you go, let's talk about what you've got, what's important to you, what, you, and then you start to do that from domain to domain to domain, and you can start to connect people. Like I, I kind of do this just from connecting people, you know, person to person around data mesh stuff. And so, like, I could see that being really, really valuable for a lot of people to just give them visibility into kind of what could be possible or who could use their data rather than this is, we're going to perfectly structure it. We're going to know all of this versus, hey, you know, you, you know, this domain should talk to this other domain because you're kind of working on things that are similar. And so you collaborating, let's, let's figure out how we do that in, in an easy way and an appropriate way and, and a scalable way. But let's get you at least talking and exchanging information because so many of these times it's, it's, uh, I mean, you know, we could use the, um, you know, your, your former life as a teacher and use like some analogy around group projects. And it's like all of a sudden you find out that these people are really your friends and things like that, or they could have been your friends all along and blah, blah, blah. But that, you know, you kind of make sure that everybody is is participating, but that you also don't go from, hey, you don't know how to do this to I'm expecting a ton from you. You know, it's not that you uh, have the test on on something the day you teach it. You're you're working with these people to to kind of do that. So let's go into some of the like actual logistics of of how you're doing this. Like how would somebody, you know, we talked in the pre-call about kind of having a core ID 
and having like, a, uh, you know, kind of some sample schemas, but not a mandatory schema. And like, how do you make this so that people can interoperate, but it's not this super rigid thing and it's not kind of forcing, I don't know if you've ever seen the the video of, of the woman who's got the little bucket and it's, it's all the little shapes and it's like, Hey, you know what, or she's watching someone and it's like, okay, this thing is supposed to go into this hole and, and it's like, you know, a, <laughs> a, a cylinder and she's like, but it fits into the square hole and every single thing fits into the square <laughs> hole. So like, how do we prevent ourselves from trying to force everything through or, or, or that, but also still make it so it's not like everybody, it's so laissez-faire that everybody just does whatever they want and nothing actually interoperates and nothing actually adds any value. Yeah. Well, I think, and that's again, where that product thinking comes in. So when you think about the um, core data, what we're, what we're really giving is a journey and a very thin slice that's part of it as well. So we're only focusing on one thing at a time. So we're not boiling that ocean, but this thin slice of an end to end experience for that domain. And when you talk about it in that perspective, where you're thinking about how do we ingest this data? Because even today, you know, there's pain points in how you even get data from point A to point B. And we're building out a more sustainable platform around that than getting it into the core data management system. And then what does that output layer look like? Not only for them, but is that an output layer that can benefit others? And when you start to get the business to think about it in that way, they really start to latch on to that is my data and I do want to understand it and I do want to be able to see how it can connect with others. Are you finding like one thing that, that a lot of organizations have difficulty with is what's in it for me, you know, of, okay, I get that, that, that team wants my data, but why would I provide that to them instead of focusing on myself? Are you finding that's a a challenge? Like there are many organizations where it is a challenge. There are many organizations. It's not, like, how are you working with them when you think about um, participating in the core data scheme, but also just kind of data mesh in general? How are you kind of working with them to drive that? Yeah, I think part of it is just thinking about the bigger value and goals. So it isn't as much, it's going to save me X number of minutes to clean my data, or it's going to um, be something that someone downstream can use for an insight. It's more What are the bigger values of the company as a whole? And what are the milestones that each of the areas of business want to hit? And is this objective going to help with that? And I think, um, you know, the company, many companies are starting to see more of that connection between the different areas of business so they can start building common goals. And that's what we're starting to see a bit with um, some of these teams. It's the realizing that the attributes that they have in a certain area can really benefit another area, which is helping with that broader goal across the company. Without getting overly specific, you know, anything company specific, but can you give like an example of, of what this is actually like of, of an output or an outcome like of, Oh, we had, you know, you know, completely uh, obscuring the names or anything and not saying, you know, anything particular about that, but like, how is that actually manifested how you know how much of it is that that you're in the middle how much of it is like that you're going okay i'm going to partner you with these folks like how how does that actually happening well initially you know we talked with each area of the business to get what they felt was their value and again not their value as in um you know increasing speed or efficiency but the greater value of that 
output for whatever it is that the goal was within that business domain. Were we going to be able to help with that? So we put all of those values together into a PowerPoint slide and then took time kind of doing a uh, roadshow across all the different areas of business and sharing these values and having the business start to see these connections with each other. And then um, we've been uh, throughout this year starting to actually build workshops where we have the different areas of business coming together to help kind of build out the design for um, how the data will be interacted with within the core data platform. I think that's an interesting, this has been something I've actually really been struggling with as a question is, um, how do you spark the art of the possible? How do you work with teams to say, what do you have that might be of use to others? Or how do, you know, if everything is use case driven and it's all that the users are the ones that are coming and saying, I want you to create this, like, let's, let's work in that way. How do you get people to understand what is even there? What is possible? What value could be created instead of, hey, we're going to do this thing of, uh, you know, where you have to know exactly what we've got to be able to make the request, right? It's it's when you go um, and you're like, when you're working with somebody and you, you say, hey, do you, can we do this in ABC way? And they go, no, versus what are you trying to actually achieve? Let's talk about what you're trying to achieve. And then, you know, it creates that, as well, that that more resilience because they know what that consumer is actually trying to do. So if something is going to change, they can have mm-hmm. that conversation or if they can add incremental value. Hey, we started doing this thing and we found this really useful insight. Is this going to be useful for you? Should we put it into the data product? Oh, no, it's not going to be useful. Great. Or, oh, wow, this was something that that we had never thought we could do. This wasn't so... It seems like are you finding that that the that the kind of the initial framing is how people are still interacting, or are they forming their own relationships between each other and actually, you know, creating new use cases that it's not that the core team really did? That's what's so exciting right now is that um, we have a couple different examples. We just had a workshop the other day, and we had someone from one of the business domains just um, ask another domain, like, here's an attribute that we have. Do you actually uh, also obtain this attribute from some sort of verified source? And come to find out they did. And so then they were like, I would love to have that attribute. Can you share it? And that's what the core data platform is all about. And we also have quite a few initiatives that are going on throughout the different areas of business. And What's been great is that one area of business will think about the enterprise core data and then loop us into an initiative that's happening somewhere else. So we're starting to kind of build that connection throughout. Yeah, it's it's uh, kind of magic when like these things start. <laughs> <laughs> they, they start to uh, kind of spiral, but in a positive way, right? They start to snowball and build on each other because there is... Um, you know, that momentum and people start to go, oh, wow, this has been made not necessarily easy. You know, I mean, with data mesh, nothing is is all of a sudden magically easy yet. Hopefully we can get to a, a place where we all know how to do that. But but it's easier and that the conversations can actually go somewhere. 
because like the way I've been talking with a lot of people lately and the more that I, I listen about how data projects have always been done, it's we exchange information once and then it's it's like you're you're in the days before there was electronic communication, before there was telegraphs, <laughs> before there was anything like that. You you meet in the middle and you negotiate and then you go back to your home offices by horse or whatever. And then you have the conversations and then you come back and you go, is this what you wanted? And it was like, no, okay, well, whose fault is that or whatever? It's like, well, it's nobody's fault. It's just that the issues with human communication. But, you know, if you're headed in a direction, you're like, I need, I need to go a hundred miles in a, a direction. And you start to go Northeast and you find out after a hundred miles that you needed to go Northwest you know, you think about that and you think about you've got to go, you know, square root of two times 100 additional miles. So you've got 140 miles to go versus you go up five miles, you find out, oh, this really wasn't great. So then you take, you know, the the seven miles, you know, the uh, five times the square root of, of two, which is 1.41. I don't know why I have that locked in my head. But uh, so you, you instead of going 240 miles, you went, you know, a hundred and, and, uh, or a hundred and yeah, 107 miles, right. That you like that you're able to adjust and increment and work together. And, and it's something that, that good organizations that are functioning well are really, really excited about, but like, how are you working with these people to reserve the time to do this? Mm -hmm. Because, like that's been a big, big challenge for a lot of folks as to how do you actually make this so that they can pursue this? Not that, wow, that would be really awesome, but I don't have any time. Right. And that is the the hard part, right? I think part of that is um, plenty of preparation and planning. So you provide those roadmaps and the resources needed plenty in advance for those specific domains. And it's also thin slice. So we're not going across every domain right now. We focus down on three domains with a very particular output that's supposed to be coming from the, the overall end-to-end -end experience. So being able to kind of narrow that focus and only have very key people in on that is what's been helpful in making sure that everybody's involved. And we're also using the agile methodology. So we've been doing um, sprint demos every couple of weeks where we're showing back to the business, you know, actually in the instance of the core data platform or from the self-serve layer, what we're building so far. And it's really, I think, helping build that momentum and that energy, like they're seeing results and they're also seeing our feedback, their feedback taken into account and then seeing that next iterative step. Yeah, I think that, that I like that a lot of people are really, really against agile and data for a lot of reasons, because sometimes people become overly focused on the ceremony of agile rather than <laughs> actually being agile um, and using it so that you can maintain agility. But I, I like that sprint demo thing, because I think that's really interesting of we have scheduled time where we are going to exchange context. We have scheduled time where you're going to be able to say, is this the right direction or not? And that you have that, like, you know, uh, Ebru Kusen, when she was on, was talking about she was in one thing where they were in such a uh, tight feedback loop that she might put something together in the morning and be demoing it 
you know, at, at 2 PM. And then someone would be like, no, 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 let's change. And then, you know, they, she would work on it and, and be like, okay, it's five o'clock. Like, do you want to look at it? And they'd be like, no, let's look at it tomorrow morning. But like that, it was so fast that you could actually even have that feedback loop on a daily basis rather than building in the wrong direction for, for a long period. And so one thing that I wanted to, to kind of wrap into a lot of this, you, you talked about it a little bit, but I'm still trying to press on people of how do we actually do interoperability? You know, Schmack in her book lists a few a few different things to to make this easy. But what are you finding are the most important aspects? Is it that you have schemas that everybody can do? Is it that okay, we're going to be by the the fire standard, and so that's going to create that from a um, data interoperability, or is it like a timestamp or or a way of collecting information or blah, blah, you know, there's so many of these things where there's so many opportunities that could be, but it's not necessarily that that's actually how people are actually finding this to be valuable. Right. Well, I think a, a part to interoperability is first from the business with their pain points today, having to cleanse and match data. So to be able to first, um, understand how to map the data correctly with what we're calling our core data ID. And the nice thing is we're not saying you have to match, like on an HCP, you have to match name exact and address and everything. You just have to feel confident that this is the same record for you. And then you can use that ID that we're providing for you. And that ID is what creates the interoperability. So it's really just understanding what are the attributes that we can trust from some sort of verified source to use to match and map the different um, records across the systems. And are you like working with people to understand like the bounds of trust and that you go, hey, we trust that this is, but sometimes it might not be, or hey, do we need like, okay, your use case, you need it to be, you know, you know, five nines of accuracy on that specific thing, or is it good enough that that with, you know, a one nine of accuracy, 90% accuracy, that it's going to be good enough and having that conversation or people, because I, what I found is a lot of people either think the data is right or it's wrong versus mm-hmm. how trustworthy, how high quality is it is, is, you know, and then we can get into all the 27 definitions or, or dimensions of data quality and all that fun stuff. But like, are you finding that people are willing to under to change their understanding of data because that's been something that I think a lot of organizations are struggling with i I think part of it is that um, we're creating one verified source, but then what we're telling the business around that is there are some attributes that might be missing off this source so we can enrich it with other sources but it's really about that confidence so as a um, I guess as, as a partnership across the different teams, we're looking at what are we going to choose as those attributes that we absolutely want to have consistent and then kind of building the trust framework around that and that confidence, which you can do within the platform as well. Makes sense. Yeah. And, and yeah, I, I think it sounds like you're headed in the right direction and that it's not perfect yet, but that it's, it's working and that there's incremental improvement and people are feeling that and seeing that and that that's kind of creating its own excitement. Yeah. And I think part of it is that, you know, we're very, very new on this frontier. So we haven't like 
connected our systems yet, but once you can actually create the interoperability, that's when they're going to see where that value really lies and why this is considered core data and why we have that ID then that can be shared across the teams. I think that that's what's um, giving a lot of energy for our backlog for the roadmap because there's quite a few different teams and systems that are like, I want to be next. So we're trying to create starter kits so that they can at least um, kind of do a search before create and look within that core data platform to see if they can find that record and use that ID uh, right away within their systems. Yeah, how, how are you thinking about the long run of, um, you know, I think this wraps in well to the, the conversation about how do you actually talk about data mesh to uh, the rest of the organization, but how are you working with them to kind of upskill their capability and, and their interest level? But like, and, and are people seeing it because they want the data for them Selves, or they want other people's data, or they want to participate, and they're, they're you're creating kind of an internal kind of sharing system that rewards them for sharing. Or, like, I'm just trying to figure out how it seems like you know from talking with you and Samia and and you know Jeremy and and everybody that there's just a lot of excitement and something's really kind of different at what's happening with CGen. Right where it's it's different than a lot of people are seeing. So I'm trying to extract the secret sauce that, and and it might just be <laughs> that it's it's a cultural secret sauce that was already there, and you're taking advantage of it. But like, where where do you think like that is? What, what did you find that that was the thing that started to kind of get them their eyes lit up? That you you felt that hook into them of, hey this is the thing that, that drove that buy-in. This is the thing that when we talk to them in this way or that way, or, or that we created this, this kind of um, excitement that what, if somebody were to ask you, like, I'm struggling with, with getting buy-in, would you just say, well, unfortunately our, our teams were just bought in. So, or, or like, how, how would you kind of explain what went right there? No, it was definitely a bit of a journey. I think, um, I think it goes back to the stewardship that's occurring within the individual business domains today. A lot of what they're doing today is they're having to validate their records, but they don't have a place to validate their records to. And then somebody downstream has to validate that same record and do the same process again, but they don't even know that somebody upstream had already validated it because they don't have any sort of a identifier, right? To say, this is this record is now that record. Instead, they're like, okay, these two records look close. Let me go ahead and do my matching criteria to make sure that they're the same record. And we felt that there was a lot of pain when we talked to the areas of business between the handoffs from one area of business to another. And so when there's a handoff, usually there's a system that's also there. That's a different domain, but they're using that same record. And I think that's what finally um, created that engagement across the different areas is that they started to realize we're all cleansing the same record in all of our individual systems. Yeah. I think that communication about what was actually done and, and you know, I talked about data contracts and I, I love them and I hate them because people think that the data contract just does all of the communication. And it's like, no, you've got to have actual human to human conversation, but that if you can put it in, terms that people actually understand as to what happened, like what, how much can you trust this? Okay. We have done our data quality checks, but, oh, I don't, I don't agree with the way that you do data quality checks. So I'll have to do 
some of my own, I, at least I understand that, or I understand when I have to do that, or, hey, I've got a better system for doing data quality checks. Like, let's expose what you're doing via that so that you have them clean upstream for everybody else too. Um, Khan Chow talked about this at Northern Trust when they launched data services. There was this huge total cost of ownership on the consumers because they were having to do all this data quality thing. So yes, the data was available, but it wasn't in a format in in a usable, you know, kind of uh, format that people could actually consume from. They were going and they were grabbing it and then doing all the work themselves instead of pushing that work upstream. And having that that kind of back and forth communication is is really really difficult. Are, are you finding that people are are very willing to have those conversations or that it's, it's, is it kind of changing their perspective around a lot of things or, or what's kind of changed where these, you know, you said that those conversations are starting to happen outside of the data team. So like, what is it? Cause they're, they're seeing the art of the possible or they're already seeing the value or what's, what's kind of going on there. I think it's definitely, they're seeing the art of the possible. I, I do think we've shown some demos of, you know, using the data that we've already kind of taken for a um, proof of concept. And we actually show demos in the core data platform of how you can do matching within the platform itself versus your system and how much easier it is and how all of these different things are kind of um, showing you source tracking to see where the different attributes are coming from. And you can gain confidence then in how you want to map and match these records to your own. And I think that really was part of what's been happening. And then those teams are sharing to other teams and it's just kind of starting to trickle down that there's this enterprise core data that's happening. Yeah, that, that internal kind of storytelling mechanism and driving a lot of uh, excitement from that standpoint is is really interesting, but it's, it's difficult because it's like, oh, we want this to happen, but eh. so. Um, and it took time. <laughs> No, sure. you, you you didn't just have, I want the magic wand. I need you to be able to just give me yeah. the magic wand to wave in. <laughs> so one thing that we were looking at talking about as well was the gentle beginnings. Like, how do you make this so that somebody doesn't feel like they're overburdened? A lot of people are saying, you now own the data domain. So, you know, th- that's on you and we've given you the platform. So boom, that's it. And it's not working. Like those, those organizations trying to do data mesh that way, it just doesn't work versus gently giving them the capabilities and, and upping that. Like how much are you focusing on upskilling versus platform versus, you know, all of those, those different aspects? Well, because we're keeping it thin sliced, we're really focusing in on just the domains that we have that one output for. Um, it's, that's that's just been helpful, right? We we have that engagement with them because of that output and being able to kind of see along the journey that um, that this is all being a benefit towards this final outcome. And then what's happening from that is that the report that we're trying to create today is a report now that they're finding out other teams can also benefit from. And so then these other teams are waiting their turn to get into core data, but they can at least start benefiting from the output that we're creating in that thin slice. And I think that's what overall you just, in in terms of that gentle nudge, you want to make sure that you don't take on more than you can chew, for sure, but also that you find an area in the business that has 
those concerns and they, they need a solution. And they, um, the other part to this is that we're also building self-serve, right? So it's not, it's that end-to-end experience. That's what I think makes it a little bit unique from other just MDM, MDM systems is that we're making sure that they understand how the, how the data is coming in, what is some of that quality and standardization that's occurring before we even bring it into this core data platform, and then that output layer and being able to see that there's a purpose to bringing it in, right? What is it actually going to do for me and for others? That's, I think, what the nudge was that kind of got the teams to see that, you know, they they have to put in a little bit of effort, but it's starting to pay off, I hope. Yeah, well, and I think one aspect there as well is that um, we haven't had that good communication around what this actually what what is the point of doing this? A lot of times it's been, and like when you're thinking about how people have talked about like documentation, it's been about what has been the transformation instead of like, what are we actually trying to do? Like, this is what the output is instead of, you know, talking about the, the, okay, this is the exact lineage and this is exactly how this worked and all this. And it's like somebody who's not super, super data savvy looks at that and just goes, I don't know what this means. This, the, you've taken away the meaning because you're focused on the transformation, the actual data moving the bits and the bytes instead of mm-hmm. sharing the information with us. Yeah. And I think the other thing that um, that I've enjoyed anyway is we're really trying to also, you know, think about it from a change management perspective. So I created a, a newsletter that we're sending out um, to a larger audience. And then I actually have my dog, he's a Bernadoodle, Kai, and we're using him as our mascot. So he's our core canine, which I thought was pretty cool. So when we're on calls and somebody sees the core canine, it kind of has that that reconnection. And I think having a little bit of fun in the way that you build out a program and the way that you communicate about it, I think that that also helps to just have people want to learn more, right? It humanizes it. it. Like this is something that I try and do with this podcast and things where I don't ask, you know, I just had a, an episode that I put out of um, explorers wanted experts, not, and then in parentheses <laughs> yet, you know, but it's okay to get things wrong. It's okay to, to be human. It's okay to not know exactly what we're doing. It's okay to recognize that we're all part of this and that we're a team and that we're working towards goals, but that it's not like this is super, super, you know, buttoned up and super professional. That's kind of like this podcast. Uh, you know, I've had some people who've told me that, that they're like, oh, I was really expecting it to be like, you know, kind of professor type content of this is exactly <laughs> what you should do. And it's just people talking. And, and that's yeah. such a different approach because, like it feels like in data, you're either right or you're wrong instead of do, are we directionally better? Are we learning? Are we improving? Are we actually able to, to hit what we need to? And, you know, I think that change in mindset is, is difficult, but it's really valuable once you hit that. And so it's, it's, it's great to hear that, that you're hitting that. Do you have any tips or tricks on helping people to, you know, you said the newsletter, you said being a little goofy, like, uh, you know, some people have talked about show and tells and things like that. You know, you talked about your demos and things, Mm -hmm. but is there anything that's, that you think has, has made it so people don't feel intimidated, right? That they don't feel Mm -hmm. like, I don't know how to do data. I'm, I'm not, 
you know, data literate. I'm either right. data illiterate or data literate and versus like, what's my data fluency level and things like that. Like, have you found anything yeah. that you tell other people, we did this, don't do this, or do do this? Yeah, I think part of it is just um, just being vulnerable and transparent and, and having fun. Like my um, tagline is explore, uh, discover, and mature data together for enterprise data management. So it is trying to just let people know, like, we're here to explore together. I have a fun fact on my board every day. So if they're in a call with me and they ask about my fun fact, I share it. So just those little things that kind of make it more unique than just data. Because I think um, I think there's a lot more to life than just the data. And I, lo- I love data, but I'm also not necessarily technical. So it's been fun to kind of be with the customer on that journey. Yeah, well, and to me, like data is a mechanism for sharing information. Data isn't the thing, right? Data is a mechanism to share information. And so that's what we have to focus on. But for too long in data, it's been focused on the tangible because that's been something that's easier to focus on than the conceptual. But I do think people are going to want to know what, what what is your fun fact for the day, if you don't mind sharing. Oh, you got to look this one up, Scott. These are called leaf sheep. And leaf sheep are very tiny sea slugs that graze on the leaves of algae. And what they do is they suck up the chloroplast. And they're green because they have chlorophyll in their body for up to 10 days. And then they go towards the sun and they photosynthesize to use that as energy like a plant does. They're called the um, solar-powered sea slug. Interesting. (laughs) Yeah, they're really cute. I, I I feel like that sounds like almost something from a fantasy novel because I know all these things where it's like, and it's an animal that that uh, you know actually <laughs> uses photosynthesis, but it's it's kind of interesting that there actually is one that 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 there exists. Is. There. Yeah, I think nature teaches teaches us so much, and I and I think that that that's the kind of stuff that I I believe has helped to propel the program is that we're we're interacting with each other. We're not just you know, drill sergeant saying what has to get done to get an output. It's really about having those engaging conversations, exploration, curiosity, and a safe space. Yeah, I think that, uh, yeah, I, I've been talking so much historically about empathy and safe space and being vulnerable in that because, you know, the number of times when um, people will say something like, they'll, they'll say something and I'll go, I, I have no idea what you just said. And they're like, oh, that's so great that you actually were, you know, felt comfortable saying that. Uh-huh. And it's like, yeah, that's, but otherwise I don't learn. I don't know what you're talking about. And if it's a value, you, you put value on it, you said it. So presumably there's value. So, sure. um, but yeah, like how, I mean, was it that that was already kind of a corporate culture thing? Because I know there's a lot of places that are a little bit more cutthroat at the start so was there anything that you would, if someone were to come to you and ask about that? I know this is kind of far afield of what we were talking about core data, but yeah. it's kind of not. It's kind of about you're creating the space in the in the core to make it so that people actually can have these interactions and, and have that. Is there like a way that you would say has, has really helped to encourage people to kind of step forward and say, I don't know, or let's discuss or let's explore? Yeah, I, I do think it's part of the culture. I really um, appreciate Seijin uh, as a company and my team. We have uh, this, you know, we use squad model and we even have a squad that we've built called the culture squad. So it's really focusing on how do we ensure that we keep culture 
you know, in front of mind and, and building out that empathy um, within the teams and then from the IT side, from those teams, then out to the business. And I, I think that that's really taken hold. Yeah, that's, that's, that's difficult to drive cultural change. But I guess if you can create a thing of, hey, whenever we're talking data, we're going to have this as a cult. You can maybe set that aside and start that at least that when people are talking data, there is a, a better space for it and that it's okay to, to not know. But, you know, I've, I've talked to some people who say, you know, if you go to somebody and you show something to them uh, related to data and it's not perfect, then they go, the data is wrong. I'll never be able to trust this. And so like getting to a space where that's not the case is, is pretty difficult to do that. But um, so I, I wanted to kind of, uh, start to wrap up around the idea of, of enabling the domains. We talked about this a little bit, but like, how are you going into the domains and, and actually working with them? Like you talked about kind of discovering their data, but how much are you still owning versus how much are they owning or you're, you're early. And so you're still figuring that out and you're, you're doing that or, cause, uh, some people have talked about, like um, Glovo talked about um, when they were on, that the core data team kept too much ownership too late, and then trying to hand over that ownership hasn't been going as well. So, like, how are you how are you splitting that up, and how are you making them comfortable that they can do this? Like, you know, is it that you're putting the training wheels on, or that you're you're holding their hand, or you're doing the thing, or or like what what's going on with that that aspect? I mean, again, we're still fairly new, right? Because we haven't gone into production. But in terms of building the community around what we're trying to do, we have um, lots of different workshops that we have within the different teams. But we're also now going to build a uh, channel within our, our team's channel that will allow for everyone that's been working on this program together to have a space where we can start to have some of those conversations and start to kind of build out a bit more dialogue between the business and not so much IT. Because, I mean, I remember I, I heard, uh, I think it was last year at a conference that many times a core data management program that's run by IT will fail because it's hard to get the business engaged. So it's really trying to just get the right areas of business to connect together to make the business decisions and then just overseeing at that enterprise level that those decisions are approved and communicated, you know, through the different teams that might be impacted. Yeah, I, I had uh, somebody I was I was talking with not not on the podcast, but they were talking about, um, you know, their platform team came to them and said, "Hey, we need you to migrate your your use case over to our new platform." And they were like, "Well, why why would I do that?" And they're like, "Well, this one has Spark," and they're like. Okay, but but it doesn't meet my actual criteria for what I need, and that's the kind of IT led historically. So, um, I, I think one one good question that that we've kind of touched on a little bit, but really, when we think about master data management, people think of the single source of truth. And they're like, I must have a single source of truth, and you know, Schmack in her book talks about. Um, most relevant truth instead of single source and that you can have multiple perspectives on the same thing and they're both true. Um, uh, Ellen and Alice from uh, DNB have talked about 
the, um, you know, if you look from the top and you see kind of this big circle and you see two little lines that are coming out of it and you go, what is that? And then they're like, oh, it's just an overhead view of a woman with this huge hat that's riding a bike. And so, you know, when you you shift down, it's totally different and both are correct and both are, but like that single source of truth people are especially in, in something like healthcare and and in, you're dealing with people's actual lives and things like that. So you want to be really, really correct. How are you helping them to understand that that aspect of core data versus single source of truth, right? Of this, we're going to have it where this is the only way that this thing is is correct and this is the only source that you're going to versus what's actually useful and relevant to you? Well, I think part of that is within the core data platform. It's really, you don't need to take every piece of information from there and put it into your system. But if you know that this is the same healthcare professional, because to healthcare professional, you really need to have, you know, the HCP is the HCP, but you don't need to modify the name. If you have a different name in your system, keep your name. What we are wanting to, uh, and and it's for the businesses that need it. So not everybody has to come into the core data management platform. But if you do have any operability or you're sharing your data with another team or, or system, then we should at least go get the ID from the core data. You don't need to get anything else, but at least have your ID so that you can have interoperability still, but not necessarily modify your source of truth. But are, are people saying that there needs to be only one exact place to go? Or is that kind of, it, it, it manages around that, around the core ID. And so it's good enough or, or something like that. Because, you know, traditionally, you know, MDM has been like, I have a golden record and everything mm-hmm. else must be based off of this one thing and trying to keep it updated. And, you know, when you look at um, an e-commerce site and you, uh, you know, sometimes I send uh, a couple of my friends some some different like little goofy things or whatever. And the the address that they have for me, they might have multiple addresses and all of them are right. You know, what was the most recent place that I sent something to? What is my billing address? What is my, mm-hmm. my actual listed home address? They're all correct. And so but like people are, are really stuck on this idea of that single source of truth. Has it not been something that you've had to, to battle against just yet? And you're kind of figuring out how people can, can get there. Or is it something where people are like, I, I only want, you know, I want that single source of truth or, or is it just not come up as much to date? Yeah. I, I think because we're focusing on healthcare organization and healthcare professional and we're using verified third-party vendor data that we're purchasing. We already have um, quite a bit of trust around the data that we have, but you don't have to use every piece of it. That's what makes it, I think, different than my previous experiences. When um, I remember we had the name in one system and they kept denying it because it wasn't the name that was on the golden record. And we're like, just accept it. It has the same ID. Everything else about it is the same. Um, I think even the tax ID is the same. So just because we have a different spelling doesn't mean anything. And we had to submit a DCR to have our spelling modified to that spelling. That's the kind of source of truth that I think is um, debilitating towards a business and actually allowing for that functionality. This is just a, a place where you can go and get that record and any aspect of that record that you want. Yeah, that makes sense. 
So, so we've covered a whole heck of a lot of different things. We kind of bounced around in, in different ways and, and different fun. things. Yeah. Is, is there anything we didn't cover that you'd like to, or any way you'd kind of want to wrap up the episode, any button you want to put on things? I just wanted to mention that um, myself and Samia are going to be at the data quality DGIQ data governance information and quality conference down in San Diego in June. So if any of the listeners are going to be there, Come uh, listen to us while we're down there. That'd be wonderful. Yeah, well, and, and you know, outside of the DGIQ conference, uh, is there any place you'd like people following up? Anything specific you'd like them following up about, you know, if they want to talk core data or anything data mesh or where's kind of the best place and what do you want them following up about? Yeah, I'm free for whatever conversations people would like, but LinkedIn would be the best place to find me. Okay. Awesome. Well, again, uh, thank you so much, Marcy, for your, your time today. And as well, thank you everyone out there for listening. Thank you. This has been great, Scott. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Marcy Stetzel, who's the Principal Product Manager of Enterprise Core Data at CGen. You can find a link to her LinkedIn, the DGIQ conference, where she'll be presenting with Samia Rahman, and an article about the leaf sheep that she mentioned in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. April of 2023, I left DataStacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started, so give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information-as-a-service firm. Our offerings are affordable, and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about, like, going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.